Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 139, recorded on Pi Day, March 14th of 2021. Uh, of course, we're not going to be talking about Pi much, although there might be some mathematic in the discussion today. Uh, this is the Photo Geekery Show. I am Don Kamarechka, your host, and I uh, find some news stories that uh, we can geek out about in the photo industry on a weekly basis. And joined with me uh, is a guest host. And today uh, is one of my favorite people living in Germany. One of. There are a few. Uh, I can't say who's the best, Alan, because there is uh, some tight competition. But Alan Attridge is here with me today. How are you? I'm doing well, Don. Yourself? I'm great. Uh, well, as great as, as one can be, given the world <laughs> that we currently live in. But I'm, I'm doing pretty good uh, now that uh, my book is finalized. Uh, I believe my press checks wrap up on Tuesday or Wednesday of this coming week. Uh, the ebook version is ready. So that's just a huge weight off of my shoulders and uh, lets me be a little bit more creative again. So I'm, uh, I'm happy about that. Sounds great. Uh, by the way, not Pi Day in, uh, in Europe. We do, the, we do the date first and then the month here. So we have to wait till I think April 31st, technically it's Pi Day here. So we'll look forward okay, to that. Okay. Well, uh, in, enjoy your pie whenever it comes to you. Uh, <laughs> but in, uh, in, in photo news, uh, we've got some good stuff. We've got some news from Adobe, Nikon, 500px, which we haven't talked about a whole lot lately. Uh, this crazy NFT crypto art thing, and uh, then our picks of the week at the end. But uh, what, what's new and exciting with you before we get into any of that, Alan? Oh, at, honestly, absolutely nothing. We had a, a run of great weather about a month, uh, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, and life was great. And now we're just into that March blah. So yeah. I wish I had more for you, but I'm literally the most <laughs> boring person in Germany. Well, I mean, it's we're kind of in that same limbo zone here, too, where the snow's mostly gone, so no winter activities to be had. Uh, everything is just brown and muddy, so, you know, the spring <laughs> behavior is, is not going to, you know, you're not going to go out and start, you know, planting stuff and you know, smelling the beautiful new flowers, although our crocuses started to bloom, and uh, my daughter picked them all, every one of them. And, uh, and that's great. Beautiful bouquet to have for a brief period of time. But I, I worry because if that's going to be a trend, then every time she goes outside, we're going to have to hide the scissors or the you know bypass uh, trimmers yeah. because she is going to snip every single thing that blooms and uh, we'll have nothing outside. So. <laughs> Yeah, that'll 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 happen. Uh, I I always hesitate to plant anything here until May because uh, it'll it'll snow on you. The, the second I plant grass, it'll snow, and that includes April. So. Yeah, we uh, we had a snowfall in uh, mid May, I think, last year uh, that covered everything. So, anyhow, this is not the Weather Channel. Nor uh, is the Old this... Man Channel yet. I remember <laughs> yeah, when exactly. stuff used to cost a nickel, Don. It was excellent. <laughs> Hey, I remember going to the corner store and buying candy for a penny because they would sell these absolutely... <laughs> no, no, we're going down this road. Okay. Okay. Um, so let's uh, let's get into our stories. Uh, story number one, which uh, I think is, it's going to have some universal impact to photographers, even though it's not uh, groundbreaking per se. Uh, reported by Petapixel, Adobe Photoshop's, quote, super resolution made my jaw hit the floor. Now... I think that there's a bit of a superlative there uh, from the author of the article, Michael Clark. 
But uh, yeah, I saw this coming because you had a lot of, uh, you know, Topaz had their AI uh, beginning software that would allow, uh, you know, just whatever machine learning that uh, the software has been trained on. Typically, it would be like landscapes or cityscapes, portraiture, etc. Um, mm-hmm. That it, be, it would be able to kind of fake additional details where it should be just by knowing the context of what it was. Um, and uh, if that's, you know, was getting, uh, you know, proper positive reviews and attention, it was only a matter of time before one of the juggernauts like Adobe came in with their own version of it. Um, have you had a chance to, to play with this new feature yet, Alan? I just downloaded it, have, have not had a chance to fire it up. Um, but I read the articles, due diligence and all that. But the, the this reminds me, wasn't there something like sort of in the late 90s, people were talking about uh, something called fractals? Yeah, well, uh, that was sort of using uh, fractal algorithms. Uh, originally, was called Genuine Fractals, which was the heart of On One uh, software, and they've since renamed it uh, On One uh, Resize. But uh, they still use very similar algorithms to handle that. And so, too, does Adobe when you open up Photoshop proper and you go to resize an image and you can choose Preserve Details 2.0. And so that uses fractal algorithms to, if you've got like a a contour, uh, like a a line, a high contrast line, that you can figure out exactly a mathematical representation of that, uh, like what what the curve actually equals with math, um, then you can accentuate those details based on understanding understanding what those paths are supposed to be uh, rather than just you know guessing when you start to enlarge pixels. I remember so, back in the day people some, somebody was trying to explain to me that I could take a a screen like a still image grab from a video I would have shot on my XL1 and just blow it up to a billboard size because fractals that was the answer was fractals and I I I didn't I didn't buy it. Well, I mean, it it improved things for sure. Uh, there's right. there's no question that it was better than the existing enlarging algorithms at the time. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's always going to be wearing the crown. Uh, and there's always going to be better things. I think fractals are slightly more true to the original subject uh, in the sense that you're not uh, learning from anything outside of the material that is that is given, right? Mm-hmm, there, right? There's no database of additional iris textures or brick textures or, you know, uh, it, it doesn't know what a wave ripple pattern is or, you know, what fabric of clothing looks like and hair, another great example, uh, to try to uh, enhance details that were not in the original source material, uh, which is where the whole AI training comes in. Is this going to be location specific? Like if you have your GPS enabled, can it say, oh yeah, you're at your downtown Vancouver. I know Robson Square and I happen to know what that wall looks like, even though there's somebody standing in front of it. Can I then make it based on the 400,000 images that exist in Google of that? Can it then piece together something? Or is that where we're, we're headed? N- we're not there yet, but that could be a, you know, a potential in the future. Uh, you know, I'm I, trade- I don't- if I just invented that, I'm trademarking it right now. Whoever's listening. Yeah, uh, well, sure. Good luck with that. But the uh, the idea of uh, of using location specific things is not completely unheard of. I mean, if if you're in a particular region that you know exactly what the brick textures are supposed to look like, because all the buildings are kind of made with that same thing, that can be uh, extrapolated on a location by location basis. But I don't think that's what anywhere near where we're at right now. Um, but uh, I did a, a couple of tests here. Now, Mike. My images are not, 
I don't want to say they're not trainable, but they're not high on the priority list for training an AI to understand, you know, insect photographs, snowflake images, etc. Um, but I ran a couple through it. In fact, I, I was doing the final press checks and one image came back uh, at uh, low resolution. It's a, a UV fluorescing dragonfly image that I was setting up as a, as a two page spread. And so when I sent in my final round of, uh, of corrections, this tool was available uh, just that day. And so I ran it through there and, uh, and I compared it to the, uh, the traditional uh, uh, Preserve Details 2.0, the, the fractal-based type of, uh, of system. And I noticed a difference. I noticed it was slightly better. Not orders of magnitude, you know, not jaw-dropping, but it did say... I'm, I don't know, 10 to 20% of an improvement on, on other options. And so that's great. Uh, if, if you're not trying to, uh, you know, reinvent the wheel, you know, a, a little bit here, a little bit there is going to be great. But um, I wonder, Alan, because this is computational photography that we've had uh, in the mobile space for quite some time. And it's been, uh, it, it's so standardized in that realm that it's expected that these kinds of things are just going to be rolled into the next camera app on your next phone without you even thinking about it, uh, which is a potential way for them to increase resolution and so on. Um, but as a professional photographer, I had previously never really needed to go to these enlarging tools unless I was making a very large print. Uh, and that was mm -hmm. useful. And, and cameras are increasing in their uh, in their re uh, resolving power all the time, even though the bulk of my professional career was 18 to 21 megapixel cameras. And, and that was fine for everything then. Do you think that it's just going to be a, um, a want for photographers, like an urge to just make the best quality thing, even though nobody's asking for it? Or do you think that the clients are going to say, no, no, I don't have enough detail in this image. Can you please, uh, you know, up-res this for me? Can you make this even better because I have this delusion that I need it? I'm going to break your heart, Don. Uh, this, this is exactly what I've been looking for. So <laughs> as a jerk... I'm going to love this because here's, here's my plan. I'm going to surf the internet for a bunch of your low-res images. I'm going to enhance them and make awesome-looking prints without having to pay you. That's my plan. Oh, I'm I a will jerk. Sue Keep in mind out of existence. Adam. How how is that going to happen? Are you going to come to my house? I don't know. Is that so? I, I'm not going to post these. I'm going to have a nice gallery on my wall, and I'm not going to have to go to all the hassle of paying you. So. You know, you raise an interesting uh, quandary uh, mm -hmm. in that, uh, you know, I post relatively high resolution images on certain platforms like Flickr, where they are displayed uh, very beautifully. They, they don't do a lot of compression on that network, um, on that platform. But, you know, if somebody wanted to steal my image and print it, regardless of what resolution it is, uh, regardless of how they can upscale it or not, if they are willing to take it off of the internet and print it off and put it on their walls... There was no way I would ever have gotten money from them to begin with, right? They would never have paid for it. Right. So it's not necessarily money lost in that sense. Not but, yet. But uh, with the proliferation of, uh, you know, social media and reverse image searches, I have found some of my images printed on walls in screen grabs of television shows. Um, in uh, in chalets, and because they were posted a, an image of the room on on Facebook, and my mm -hmm. image was recognized in the room, and that came up in my reverse image searches. If that exists now, 
And that technology is only going to improve this whole big brother seeing everything that you put on your walls because you happen to take a selfie uh, at a party one time. I'll find out eventually. You will find out, but the, the issue is is keeping up with it. And now you say you're right. You're right. Is that is that that that's not money lost. Um, however, what ends up happening is this slow creep into our our general ethics, which is kind of funny because not funny, haha, funny, ooh. Because uh, just yesterday, I had uh, a close friend of mine ask me an ethical question. Now, this person, I would, I would, I would classify as an ethical person. However, they asked me an ethical photography question that they were kind of leaning towards 60-40 that they were on the right, in the right. And it was 100% no, completely un, unethical, 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 completely unethical. Fill us in. What, what, was, the, uh, what was this dilemma? I'm, di- I, I'm, I'm getting away from details just to avoid pointing fingers at anybody. Because, uh, so I'm not going to get, I'll give you details off the air, but it, it was, it was not, it was not far off from what I'm describing right now to you. Okay. okay. Um, it's a little bit worse, actually, technically worse, but point being, it was, a, it was, it, it, if you looked at it objectively at all, you would recognize, oh yeah, that's not, that's not ethical at all. Semi, well, and I, semi. I deal with. I, I deal with a lot of copyright infringement, right? Like this is something that I deal with on a daily basis. Um, and it's one thing if somebody uh, just takes one of my images and puts it on their Facebook page. Uh, typically, that gets a takedown notice. And there's just a simple form that I can fill out on Facebook. And, and that's, that's not going to you know, be terribly disruptive to do that. And I can batch them and do a whole bunch at once. Uh, but if somebody takes my work... Uh, and is using it in a commercial context, or they're a commercial entity and they're just sharing my work, well, obviously, it's the commercial enterprise that's doing that uh, Mm -hmm. for their own gain, whether it's to gain followers, to gain attention to a sale, or uh, to use my image to present goodwill to their customers or something like that. I don't have any of that. Uh, and so I've got lawyers in Canada and the U.S. that will pursue the claims that are worth pursuing. Um, but I also, uh, I'm, I'm working out a, a deal right now with a company called Pick Rights. And uh, they represent, uh, you know, photographers across the world in a great number of different territories uh, across uh, all the Americas, you know, uh, Asia. I don't know how much room that they have in, um, in Africa right now, but they do represent a good number of countries where they've partnered uh, with, uh, you know, uh, legal people in the respective territories. So Germany uh, would be one of them. Uh, Italy, again, you know, the UK, Australia, etc., uh, even into the Balkans now. So uh, at that point, even if the infringement is sort of far from home, but it's a viable commercial infringement, then I can I can go after that. I have the, the legal means to do so. And yes, every time you involve an extra party, you're going to get a smaller piece of, of that pie. Uh, but it's still something. And defending your work, I think, is, is a, a valiant thing, especially when so many people out there have the pervasive mentality that just because they find something online means it's free for them to use for any purposes that they desire. And that's mm-hmm. completely wrong, and that ignorance is not a defense to copyright infringement. Um, but I, I feel almost like I have to be educating the entire planet of this every day. Indeed. So what I would like to see is, is I don't know if it's an Adobe or Topaz or whomever, uh, Joey Fractal, maybe he'll take care of it. 
Um, I, I don't know if there's going to be some sort of a cross-reference database potentially on, like, let's say I down, let's say I, I'm not going to do this, Don. I was a hypothetical. I was just doing a, a, an improv here, but let's of say course. I do download one of your your, your images, um, and I, I decide to blow it up uh, using this this program and get it printed. I, I would like there to be some sort of built-in defense system where, like, the printer says, "Oh, we can't print that. It's, it's copyrighted." Now, I don't know what that would do in terms of privacy. There's probably a whole bag of issues, but I remember a long time ago. Now. Don't come and arrest me. This was completely innocent. I remember when my daughter was probably two years old, I wanted to make her play money like I, on, on my printer, right? Right. And, and so what I, what I did, I took an old, like a very old, I have one of the very old $20 Canadian bills, and my plan was I was going to scan it in my scanner and then change it completely, maybe leave, like, maybe put her face instead of the queen. And the idea was to make it look entirely different. It's going to be printed on paper. There's no counterfeiting at all. That was my intention. Right. However, the, the, print, the, the scanner would not let me scan that. It recognized that it was legal tender and just said, hey, buzz off. Yeah, and, and, and that technology I was impressed with as well. I, I had a similar uh, occurrence. Uh, I think it was something like, uh, it was like a $1,000 bill that I was going to try to just, uh, just make some play copies of, right? I, sure. I even forget what the project was. It's not like anybody is going to accept a $1,000 bill without scrutiny when those still existed. Um, and yeah, I, I ran into the exact same problem. But I, I think that yeah, it, it's such a gray area because are you going to let the uh, the software uh, determine whether or not you have a license to print that image? Because maybe you did purchase a license, even though somebody else owns the copyright. How is the software going to determine that? You know, they can, the software can look in the EXIF data, and if it says copyright to Don Kamarechka, but you're logged in on your computer as Alan Attridge, it could say, hey, there, there's a mismatch here, and up pops a little window that says, are you sure you have permission to do this? All you're going to have to do is click yes. They, they can't stop you outright, right. even if they can detect something like that, because, well, there'd be a massive amount of public outrage. I'm still looking forward to this. To this actually, I've been looking forward to this since uh, the TV show Law & Order started airing, when they could start just enhancing CCTV footage to find the crime. Oh, I hate so this that. This is pretty exciting. I mean, Not like anymore. When, when you have, like... like 10 pixels on the screen and you say enhance <laughs> and all of a sudden the license plate becomes viewable look behind uh, that guy yeah <laughs> yeah look around the corner yeah i, I born identity that's pretty fun come on well, sure sure but uh you know speaking of improving the images that we have that we've already taken you know you could go back to stuff that you might have captured uh you know 10 20 years ago on much lower resolution uh cameras and and upscale it in a way that previously wasn't possible so sort of like shooting raw uh in that same context and there is a, a raw enhancement feature that i think relies fairly heavily on your gpu um that you can uh you know take care of just to improve the image quality as well. I think that's been there for a while, although I haven't really used it, partly because um, it's only available in camera raw. Uh, and, you know, once an image leaves Lightroom and I'm uh, messing around in Photoshop, typically sharpening and scaling are things that I might do at the very, very end. Uh, and I can go into Photoshop's camera raw filter. However, uh, this enhance uh, feature, it's not there, at, at least not yet. And so that's kind of a disappointment because that's the only time when I find myself in a version of Camera Raw outside of Lightroom. Um, 
So especially if something involves focus stacking, I'm not going to be doing this crazy upscaling before I do any of the necessary legwork. Uh, <laughs> it's it's to, great to that you're disappointed together. when this thing is so brand. It still has that uh, that new software smell to it, and you're and you're already disappointed. Yeah, but it's it's kind of a, a, a strange sour smell. This one, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's going to get better with age. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, speaking of improving image quality sometimes that means buying a new camera and uh, oftentimes professionals are tasked with uh, staying on the leading edge although I think it's less so now than it used to be uh, maybe if you're you know photographing the Olympics or something you would need to have uh, the latest and greatest supplied to by the venue uh, or, or the outlet that you're shooting for um, so we've got the big players Canon Nikon Sony uh, and, uh, you know, pretty well anybody that's in the market, Panasonic as well, they are fully into the mirrorless space. Um, and Nikon has announced the development of their flagship mirrorless Z9. I, that should come as no surprise to anybody. Oh, look, Nikon is still making cameras and mm -hmm. they still have a professional base. So they're making a professional camera. Oh, shock and awe. Um, it, it, we, we knew it was coming. So at that point, we don't have much more in terms of details here. We've got, well, uh, a newly developed stacked CMOS sensor. Great. Potential for shooting 8K video. Fantastic. Because, well, I mean, that's going to be a checkbox now on those high-end cameras. If you don't have it, then people on the internet are going to complain. Uh, <laughs> I have 9K, just, just, just FYI. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so what, what do you think about... N number one, what this camera looks like and what its features are going to be. But moreover, um, who's going to buy it? Especially when every manufacturer is coming out with this new flagship camera. You can expect something from Canon as well. You know, Sony's got mm -hmm. their A1. Um, is there enough market to, uh, uh, to really satisfy the research and development costs to produce one of these cameras anymore? There was a time not too long ago when companies like Nikon and Canon specifically, and I'm sure they all, they all did it, but there was a time when they would produce a flagship camera with all the bells and whistles and then purposely hobble all the downstream models so as not to cannibalize from their big ticket item. Yeah, I, don't I think know Canon still does that to some degree. Okay, but I mean, it, sure, it's, it's maybe it's offering 8K instead of 4K or something. Like, like those are... I, I, get, I get that they still do it, or maybe it's, uh, I think on the, the, R, the R6, it's, you don't get a top L, L, LED screen, or LCD screen, I mean, uh, or something small like that. Uh, but it used to be pretty noticeable, and I, I don't think, I understood that strategy in principle, but it, it always stung for the end user who, who didn't really need a quadraphonic blaupunk, they just wanted a really good camera, and yet they're kind of being shoehorned into that flagship. I think that has gone away. The, the quote-unquote downstream models are so good now that I, I don't imagine where... Uh, I, you ask, who is this for? I have no idea who this, who this camera would be for. This, like, not this specific model because I, I, I scanned the, the, the specs and was not, my hair was not blown back. I mean, it was. It was they're awesome in a sea of awesomeness. Yeah. So yeah, it, it so doesn't what? stand out because hey, it's fantastic, but so is any other camera that you could buy. Sure. Uh, so who who is this for? You said sports shooters, like you shoot in the Olympics. But imagine this: 
Imagine tying this to our previous story. Could you, like, let's say you're out there shooting the Olympics and you're shooting these massive, massive files and you're, you're trying to blast off 20 frames a second, which I don't even know what, the, what this thing was handling. I didn't get to the FPS. Uh, but let's say, let's, say, let's say you're shooting off these massive raw files that, that you want to shoot and now you have to upload them and, and then the end user has to, like the, your publisher has to get, has to first of all receive them and then, and then they have to deal with them and process them and get them out. And right now we live in the world of instant. And, and so it, speed is everything. So I would imagine you'd be much better off as a shooter to shoot one of the lower res ones that can do 20 frames a second and have smaller files get sent faster, be processed faster, publish on the internet where you don't need the massive, massive billboard-sized files. And then if you do need that picture blown up, you can enhance it in, uh, in, in the programs. Well, and, and that begs one simple question about, uh, you know, taking those sports images. That is, I would consider that to be part of photojournalism. Um, and I don't think that uh, photojournalistic images should be modified beyond the context in the file itself. And the AI algorithms would be doing that. So that might cross an ethical line there. Um, but you're right that the majority of content that we, that we consume today... Uh, it's not going into a gallery and nosing up to an 80 by 100 print and, uh, and admiring the infinite details therein. No, it's on your phone, right? It's, it's on your computer screen that at most for 99% of people uh, is going to be 4K or less. And 4K sure. is only 8 megapixels. So, uh, and you ne you're never really even seeing that full screen. And yes, when it comes to prints, that's a different story. Uh, but that's... That's a market that is nowhere near where it once was. Uh, and in fact, when it goes into print in, in periodicals, uh, whether it's a magazine or a newspaper, that resolution is poor uh, anyhow. So how many, how many people need to have that super high resolution to make? Like behind me, I've got an 80 by 20 inch uh, canvas print. And that was taken with a 21 megapixel camera. Uh, and it was just cropped to crop a third off the top and a third off the bottom to make it a panorama uh, uh, size image because it was a lightning strike. I couldn't put that together as a panorama. It had to be a single frame. Um, and so that's maybe seven megapixels of resolution. And it works really well. You know, I, I understand that canvas is a forgiving medium because its texture can hide some of the pixelation. And it was upscaled as best as it could be uh, at the time. Uh, you know, will I go back and maybe rethink that image, re-engineer it with some of the AI algorithms? Well, probably not. I'm, I'm happy with it the way that it is. Uh, but back to your point about this camera and who needs it. I think that there's a lot of people that will buy it because it's just the best and they have the mm -hmm. money for the best. And that's just what they're going to do because it's what they've always done. You're rarely um, disappointed by the best. Well, fair enough. But I mean, these are the same people that will buy the most expensive camera because they associate, uh, you know, price to value. And that's why Leica is still uh, <laughs> looking you know, at you, Leica. Yeah, but if yeah. I had the money, I, I would I would own Leicas too. I, I, I admit. Oh, yeah, to, no question. To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, some of the best lenses that I have are old Leica lenses, right? I mean, they, they've been uh, engineered uh, to a great degree all the way back when. But um the point that I'm trying to make is this camera might have a home if one manufacturer was making it, right? I think that there's right. enough of, of, an, uh, of a user base to support one of these uh, trophy cameras, 
you know, uh, like a, a car manufacturer that produces a halo car, right? You know, something that uh, is looked up to, uh, upon with reverence, but you're never like actually like a Buick Skylark. It. I get what you're saying, yeah. Right, you know, Ford GT, uh, you know, something, <laughs> not the Skylark, but uh, but the the idea of that is that it exists and it helps the brand and it adds to brand equity, even though it might be uh, a, a losing enterprise in terms of sales and returning on the investment of just the sales alone. Mm-hmm. But the problem is everybody wants that trophy camera. Right, Sony's got their well, they're originally their uh, uh, Alpha Nine series. Now they're A One, uh, and Canon's always had their One D series for the last couple of decades. Uh, Nikon with their D Six, and now uh, with the the Z Nine. There's too many players in in this space, and you know if uh, Panasonic comes out with something of the same nature, I mean it's great. I love the competition, but the problem is you don't have the amount of people buying the cameras anymore for that to be sustainable. Right. Do you think Nikon cares what I think? No, I I barely care what you think, Alan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I, I joke, but um, but hey, you know that it, it's coming out. Uh, for those that uh, were doubting that Nikon was going to continue to make cameras, your doubts have been um, uh, assuaged. Assuaged. That's a perfect word. Thank you for that. You got the dictionary at the ready. <laughs> um, <laughs> But let's go on to uh, to another story that's, uh, again, it does affect uh, most photographers that, you know, want to hang out their shingle virtually and, uh, you know, make a, a name for themselves, start a business per se. Uh, from DP Review, uh, same as the previous article, uh, 500px launches portfolio website service for pro account members. Finally. Because uh, f- we were all just waiting for this. I was losing yeah. sleep at night. In related uh, news, I'm I'm relaunching a Zeppelin service over to uh, North America. So just uh, wonderful. stay tuned for that. I'm yeah. building wagon wheels in my spare time as a as a <laughs> for profit. You're you're being a little harsh here, but um, so 500px uh, photo sharing website that I kind of distanced myself from when they were bought by uh, a Chinese corporation. They used to be Canadian. Uh, I think they still have Canadian offices, but they're now owned by Visual China Group. Uh, and I, you know, I looked at some of their business practices, and there were some controversies in the past with them in terms of image licensing and where images were showing up after they would, you know, be posted to 500px. And so I stopped posting anything there. Uh, and I, I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel like I have really missed anything in that process. Uh, and then they want to own your photo portfolio. So, like, if you wanted to put out a website that has a portfolio of work, I mean, there's lots of options out there. There's SmugMug, there's Wix, there's Squarespace, there's uh, even just a WordPress-based website. There's tons of templates that uh, that cater to photo portfolios. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there's one more uh, from an organization that I don't trust. They've done nothing to <laughs> maintain my trust. <laughs> So, uh, you know, from that perspective... You're right, you're right. I've been pretty harsh on them. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, okay, so it's there. If anybody has a 500px account and wants to take a look at it, I won't. Um, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad service. It's just there's so many players in this space. 
And uh, the portfolio service is included with the price of the pro membership, which at the moment costs $71.88 or $12.99 per month. Um, mm-hmm. Users can try out the service and build the preview, uh, uh, build and preview a portfolio site for free, but can't share the link without a pro membership. So you can kind of dip your toe in the water, see what it might look like, but then you'd have to bite the bullet and pay good money every month. If we haven't been nickel and dimed enough with subscription-based right. things everywhere you look, there's another one for you. But I was reading through the description here, and it said, you know, uh, in the press release, is a 500px portfolio right for me? Um, whether this is your first website or you're looking for something that is easier and more cost-effective to maintain, portfolios were designed to meet your needs as a photographer. 500px portfolio is perfect for you if... Uh, you're just getting started and want a risk-free way to test the waters without committing to a website that takes a long time to set up, is hard to maintain, and is expensive. Well, one could argue that they are as easy to set up, uh, automatically maintainable, and less expensive. Right. Uh, Uh, Or the next point is you're looking for an alternative uh, to or an extension of your social media platforms uh, where you have more control over how your content is displayed by a company wholly owned in China. Uh, (laughs) The last part was mine. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought that was part of the quote in brackets. No. (laughs) Uh, The next point here is you're looking for a website to send potential clients. The contact form allows people to easily get in touch with you. My goodness, Alan, I have been looking all over the place for a website that has the ability to have a contact form. (laughs) So revolutionary. Like I said, the final the final ride on my Zeppelin or what? Exactly. Is you're looking for a website solely to showcase your photography. Because those are totally new to the market as well. Right. So yeah. Um I am not on board. I but do you have a portfolio website? My portfolio game is terrible right now. Just like I am in terms of portfolio, I can't. I'm. It's it's awful. I have no excuse other than I just haven't done it in a long time. Uh, I, I don't. I actually. I I I don't now. Don't. This isn't across the board, but this is for the bulk of of, of people out there. Uh, I don't actually see the point of having a proper website anymore, like a .dot com. I still have alanatridge.com, but mostly because I want to just retain that address for whatever reason. As far as hosting it goes, it piggybacks onto some other site I already pay for, so it doesn't cost me anything. Um, If you don't believe me that I don't care about that site, go to alanatridge.com, go to the About page, and look at the photo, and you can see how uh, dark my hair is. That's the (laughs) last time I updated it. It, 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 It's been that long. I literally don't care. I can't speak for all photographers uh, or any photographer, really, but from a client standpoint, if I was a client trying to hire a photographer, like, are you going to be impressed by a website? I, I, I'm thinking, like, to be specific about social media, Instagram is probably where I'm going to look for, or, or the equivalent, but that's probably the one I would look for for a quote-unquote portfolio because it's, it's likely to be a, a living, breathing portfolio. Whereas a portfolio, yeah. you normally you pick your best 12 and you show it and you don't show any of the, you know, any of the, not like on Instagram, you're, you're, you're still doing that as well. You're still picking and choosing and you're, you're choosing what you want people to see for sure. You can still hide things. But I, what I find is that it gives people, as long as you're being relatively honest about it, it gives people a sort of temporal idea 
of your portfolio. So you, like when you shot that, when you posted that, and you can see, are they getting better or they, they just pick 12 best photos at the end? I think that it's important to have that social aspect in a portfolio as well, not just because it's a living, breathing thing, but if you dive deeper into what that means, you have a follower count, right? If you've got, you know, 112 followers on Instagram, well, I mean, maybe you're a little bit too wet behind the ears. Uh, but if you add a couple of zeros to that, then all right, you know, th this person has a dedicated following. You look at the comments, everybody's loving the work. Um, so that kind of breathes a little bit of additional um, uh, credibility or at least confidence into what the photographer is creating. Now, a lot of that stuff can be faked. Don't get me wrong. You can buy followers. You can buy uh, pretty comments uh, on, on your work too. Uh, but I feel like there's more points of judgment when you see other people also making judgments on the same work as you are about to do. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go based solely on numbers. Uh, I, I would look to sort of see if, you're, if they're getting feedback from former clients, for example, you know, like perhaps clients are, are comment, commenting on their own photos that were taken or or on others and say hey that's great you know you can sort of you can sort of piece together a more accurate picture for lack of a better word of of who this photographer is and how more importantly i guess as important as anything when hiring a photographer is not just their work but how they work with people and that that whole experience i find that experience is is as or more important than the, than the actual photos because Someone who has a good experience with the client is likely going, it's going to translate into better photos, but also a better experience. It's right there in the name, experience. But that, <laughs> I think that you can find that a lot more from something like, again, I, I'm, not, I'm not advocating for Instagram specifically. There's probably other options. But I, I, what I like about Instagram myself uh, is that you don't, at least I don't. Maybe I'm bad at it. I don't need to sift through all the nonsense of, say, a Facebook or, or some other uh, other platform where there's there's so much noise. The people I follow, the people who follow me, or the or the two hosers, they tend to be all about no noise. It's all it's all all signal, no noise is what I found. Well, and I, I think I, I mean I'm on multiple. Uh, social media platforms. You know, I, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I really don't like a lot of these platforms, but it's where the audience is. Uh, mm -hmm. And so you kind of have to go with that flow. Flickr, I don't have as big of an audience on, but I really like that platform. And if Flickr came out with a portfolio kind of theme that you could skin your uh, your photo stream uh, with the same aspects that 500px is uh, is purporting to do with their new service, I'd be more apt to look at a Flickr version. Uh, and, and it's got the, the comments. I mean, so does 500px. It is a social media platform. Um, but if I could just wrap that into something really nice, uh, you know, flowing on a mobile screen and, uh, and, and branded, right? I think that they, you know, Smug Mug owns Flickr now, and Smug Mug has some of that functionality. Um, but uh, it, it just kind of felt a little bit too distant from the social media aspects. It'd be really nice to marry those things together uh, in a way that everybody would know about. The thing is, if people are looking for a portfolio, they might not even care about Flickr, right? They might just care about the platforms that they are on, and the most populous ones, like Instagram, uh, are where you're likely to be found. Yeah, that's true. I have some friends who are getting married in a few months, and they, they asked for my opinion on photographers. I'm invited to the wedding. Otherwise, I hope they'd hire me. But uh, 
they asked her, hey, what do you think of these two? And sent me actual websites, actual website portfolios. And so I went through them and, and basically I judged, of course, and, and uh, sort of, I, I, I'm assuming they also followed their their Flickr or their Instagram or whatever accounts, which are always featured prominently on every portfolio site. Uh, I, I kind of also wonder, I, I guess you have to dilute to, to attract every audience, but it'd be nice to bring it all together in, in one. Make that happen, Justin. Well, yeah, uh, maybe, uh, just not through 500px. In in my personal opinion, uh, I'm I'm not going in that direction. All right, um, not sponsoring the show. I'll tell you that. <laughs> that is true. So, next story uh, from F Stoppers. Although I've seen this being mused about pretty well everywhere, should photographers cash in on the NFT crypto art gold rush, as they quote here? from uh, Paul Parker, who wrote this article. Uh, do you know what an NFT is, Alan? Yes. It's a non-fungible token. No, I've no, that everyone knows what NFT stands for, Don, but do you know what it is? Uh, I don't think anybody truly understands what it actually is. What are we uh, doing here? What <coughs> no, are, okay. Honestly, what are we doing? No, no, not you and me. I mean, what, 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 why? Why are we NFTing? What are we doing? So like, you get a fingerprint of an image that can only exist in that, and you can claim ownership of that sort of digital fingerprint of that image, that it can be replicated in many other ways, in many other platforms, uh, in other blockchains too, for that matter. But you own this one. Sort of like, right. I, I think the best analogy that I, uh, that I heard was, you know, you might have oodles of money late in life, and you might want to buy a little placard to put on a park bench in, uh, you know, whatever park is, is nearby or a prestigious location. And you know that uh, anybody can go and sit on that bench, right? It's available mm -hmm. to the public, but you got your name on it. Uh, and okay. I, you know, that in a physical sense, I kind of agree with that level of, uh, of intrinsic value in a digital cryptocurrency sense. I mean, I, I've been contemplating putting some of my Snowflake images up there if it wouldn't cost a whole lot to gather the amount of cryptocurrency required to do it uh, in the hopes that some millionaire decides to waste, and I mean waste money, on on the ownership of whatever I were to create because I don't see that there's any intrinsic so they value in this whatsoever. I, I, the way I understood it, and which is, hey, I, I don't think I, I do, is it's basically like, look, instead of making a painting, Don makes this snowflake, digital snowflake photo, so it's going to be one of a kind hanging in somebody's digital gallery. Now, they can then sell it in a hundred years or give it to their kids or get a one print made and then sell it but give you some of it. Is that not what this is? No. Um, I mean, it, it could be if you have licensing agreements that state that that's the only place where it could exist. But by, by the very nature of it being in a blockchain, all of that data uh, is then publicly accessible to anybody. Sort of like the, the comments that you were saying earlier about, uh, you know, printing off my images and putting them on your own wall. Anybody would be able to do that, legally or not. Uh, I mean, uh, that, that's not the, the point, is that they can. Uh, because it exists in the public as as data, uh, so you own the uh, the concept of the ones and zeros. 
you yeah th- th- those ones and zeros in the blockchain could be owned by you uh nobody else can claim that they own those specific ones and zeros in that particular context and that's what you're paying for but that in terms of the nft uh for that artwork that's all that means again people can come up with different terms in terms of additional copyright assignment and what have you and that would happen uh you know through a a different legal process but the nft purchase or sale or whatever i yeah um this is one of those very weird fads that i think will disappear pretty quickly uh and if I'm wrong, then I've just missed out on millions. So yeah, well, I, I I would say the same, except for I laughed when everybody bought Bitcoin for five bucks. So you know, I'm not the best guy to ask about that. But I I'm under the all this aside, this NFT it must stand for something funnier than that. Um, and oh, well, it's got an F in it, so you know where that's headed. The family show, though, family show. The <laughs> I'm under the impression, though, that like we we are we're a year in uh, to this pandemic. Hopefully, that that light at the end of the tunnel isn't the train coming. So, uh, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm under the impression that once life settles back down, people are going to want things they can touch, and feel, and 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 tactile things. You want to meet people in person. We, I, I, I don't know. I don't know about you, Don, but aside from a few exceptions, I'm, I'm done with this virtual uh, life, the, the meeting people uh, uh, only online. I don't like it anymore. Could be my bias because this hit me a couple of years ago before the pandemic even hit, which is why I started buying all the, the, the power tools and, and started building furniture because I wanted to touch something I made, not just have ones and zeros in the ether. Yep. So I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I can't imagine this being an actual thing. This, this sounds like it's that foam food they were making a few years ago, and I don't think they're selling that at the 7-Eleven. No. So I, I, I want tangible things as well, which is why I'm producing a, a hardcover book. And the sales for that are greater than I would have expected compared to the ebook version because uh, a lot of people still want the tangible item. Um, I, I think that's going to be bolstered by the whole pandemic, as you said. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's there's room to grow into the digital space too. Um, and, and in fact, one of the things about photography that has um, limited its acceptance in the art world is that if you want to buy a fine art painting, uh, that's great. You know, you get the original. It has value. It is oil paint from a brush on canvas from the original artist. There's something mm-hmm. of a, uh, you know, a, a singular tangible item that you only have the one of it. Yes, there might be reproductions of, but you have the original. Uh, and yes. with photography in general, it's been sort of like, okay, well, I can buy that print, but the photographer can print a thousand of them if they want. And you can artificially limit that by putting a limited run on it, but you're still just artificially creating scarcity at that point. Um, Whereas in this case, you are creating uh, a verifiable signature of the original that is somehow in a digital sense also tangible, but not in a way that I would consider tangible. So I I would never be buying any of this artwork. Okay. Also, NFT, not a sponsor as well. (laughs) There you go. That, uh, that brings us to the end of our stories uh, for this episode of Photo Geek Weekly, and you can find Oh, it does, because I made notes at, uh, about Chernobyl. 
Uh, well, that's my that's my pick of the week, Alan. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. That's my pick of the week. I have old notes. I have old notes. I'm sorry. Go there. Sorry. No, well, hey. you're, you're stealing my thunder. Uh, I so. did. I stole your thunder. <laughs> it's all good. Although I do want to hear your notes on that. Um, but before we get to those picks of the week, um, and you can find, again, all of this at photogeekweekly.com, where can people find Alan and potentially my voice on a, uh, on a recent episode of your podcast? You can find me in the doghouse after that comment. Jeez, I'm sorry. I, that's I really feel bad because I'm I'm looking at my notes now, and you're right. It is your pick of the week, and I just gave it away. Spoiler alert. Uh, you can find me at uh, twohosers.com, where we do a weekly podcast every Monday morning. Uh, Adam Schwartz and I uh, host that, and this week's special guest airing tomorrow. Wait. The whole time frame is thrown off because I don't know when you're airing this. Monday morning, March the 15th, uh, the day after Pi Day, you can find uh, uh, guest guest Don Komarechka. Lovely. Uh, I, I promise not to bore you the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, thank you for that, Alan. And um, since you were so keen on talking about my pick of the week, uh, which I have here, it's, it's a book. And sometimes oh, you I got pick it. Photo books. Yeah, it's um, it's a photo book, um, and I, I sometimes I, I like books because they just have really good writing in them. Sometimes it's just a great picture book, but th- but this one has both, um, and it is called Chernobyl: A Stalker's Guide by Darman Richter. Um, uh, so many bad by, words in that title, too. Yeah, uh, published by by Fuel, a, a company out of the UK, a publisher. And uh, it's a nearly 250-page book that's got a lot of, of, of writing, uh, a narrative. It's a photo essay um, of travels through Pripyat and uh, Chernobyl and the Exclusion Zone uh, from a guy that uh, I know very well. He's something of a, a colleague, at least a friend of mine, that uh, we've, we've been in the same abandoned buildings uh, in the past, not at the same time, mind you, but uh, and we have had similar experiences and adventures. I've never been to Chernobyl, mind you. Um, so that was, uh, was very interesting to read this, and he writes it really, really well as a narrative, talking not only about uh, the past, the current state of things, but nuclear tourism, which is a thing that I didn't realize was a thing, uh, and a lot of people wanting to see this uh, decay and uh, renaturalization in very highly radioactive places, which is not sustainable for an for an uh, economy right. to start building tourism into those places. But you, you made notes on Chernobyl, you say? Uh, well, the book it looks amazing. Like like so, I I mean, I have a very like a soft spot for being places. Sounds odd, but. For example, I, 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 I've camped atop the cliffs uh, at Omaha Beach uh, for, where the, the D-Day invasion took place yep. uh, many years later, obviously. Uh, I've, I stood out front of the apartment building uh, in the Munich Olympic Village, you know, where the, the, the incident happened with the, with the, the hostage taking. Like, you can actually yep. go to that apartment. People live there, and, and there's something about being there. I've toured Anne Frank's house into the square where Hitler was arrested in Munich. Like, these are all the places. Um, most of my fascination does reside with, with World War II. Uh, but I am, I'm old enough to remember Chernobyl. I was 12 years old when that happened. Uh, living in Canada, though, and so on the West Coast. Uh, so, it's, it's a world away, right? Well, I, I remember, and also being 12 and the way news worked at the time, I wasn't tremendously concerned as much as I, I, I should have been, I suppose, 
uh, and, and so, but I was definitely aware of it. It was a big story at the time. It was, it, it dominated the headlines, but didn't affect me too much. My wife, however, uh, she, my wife to be, obviously she was about four years old at the time, but she was living here in Germany and she remembers her, her memory of it was a long stretch of time, not being allowed to play in the sandbox in Germany. Because really? of the, the nuclear fallout, they said right, would, right. it would basically collect in sand was a dangerous place to be, and so they didn't want so kids weren't allowed weren't allowed to play in the sandbox for a while. So well, this, and I was this, reading in in this book that uh, some of the radioactive material is heavier than the regular Earth, and it actually works its way deeper uh, by about a centimeter a year into the soil, um, which makes it almost impossible to rebuild anything there because you can't dig into the ground. As soon as you dig into the ground, you're exposing all of the now trapped radioactive particulate mm-hmm. uh, in, in the Chernobyl area. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a good read. I haven't read it all. I uh, haven't had the time to, but uh, the, the portions of it that I have have been very engaging. Uh, the book is uh, $24.95. That's in British pounds, though. Uh, and I recommend that uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it in a lot of different places. But I recommend, and the link is in the show notes, to get it right from the publisher themselves. Uh, cut out the middleman. Uh, make sure that the artist and the publisher uh, get more money than, uh, than the larger uh, distributor <laughs> uh, companies involved. Because as an author myself... I know how much you lose when you start buying it from uh, from those third parties, whether it's a brick-and-mortar retailer or an online store that is not the publisher. Um, go to the publisher directly. And, and any time that you can buy something right from them, do it, uh, because they get, uh, uh, they, they get all of that money uh, instead of just a small portion of it. And the guy went to Radioactive Land there, so come on, get him paid. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it's a good book. It's it's not a fairly large book. It's maybe about the size of an eight by ten print, uh, but it's really well produced, uh, very sturdy, uh, really good image quality uh, within the production, and uh, and I like it. So that is my pick of the week: Chernobyl: A Stalker's Guide. What have you got for me, Alan? Um, my pick of the week. Normally, I go for something uh, a little bit on the cheaper end, make it more accessible. But lately. The last couple of years, I have just fallen in love with my Fuji X100F, and uh, it, that that love affair has not has not uh, waned. I just I, I shoot with it. It's 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 it, it's my daily driver at this point. I I absolutely love it. Take it out with me on walks with the family. It's so small, but yet the image quality is is outstanding. Um, so I, I would suggest to anybody. I would probably look to buy. I've seen that. Uh, you can get like a Fuji X100S, like the second version, or a T for a very reasonable price on, on eBay or Craigslist or what have you. Uh, I would look into that. It's, it's, it, what I love about it is what some people hate about it, is the fact that it's got one lens, no zoom. You can't, you can't change that lens. It, it is what it is. It is extremely good at what it does, and that's it. Well, I, that's why some people will buy a prime lens for their, their camera. I own a lot of prime lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, when I choose to put on a 50 millimeter or a 35 millimeter lens, that lens will typically stay on the camera for the bulk of that day, unless I have some very unusual circumstances. Uh, and I try to just keep with that the whole day. Uh, but if I had a camera that was uh, ready built around that lens, uh, and it's a perfect marriage of, of those two ingredients together. It seems like that's what you're describing. 
It's exactly it. If you're one of these like a super rich lawyer or something like that, buy a Leica. No question. Who are we kidding? <laughs> if you're if you're just a, a, a semi rich lawyer, pick up one of these. Don't don't pass go. And if you're a photographer, and if you want, to, especially if you shoot flash off camera flash. If you're a photographer, I shouldn't have to add the off camera part. You're shooting off camera flash. The most amazing thing about this is the ability to sync at extremely high shutter speeds natively without having to do any high speed sync trickery. You can sync all your flashes. It, it will go up with some mess, a little bit of messing around to one four thousandth of a second, which means you can kill most of the ambient or you can control an awful lot of the ambient and still get an unbelievable amount of flash power out of off cameras like little strobes you don't need the big giant lights you can have like i i shoot with a lot of used nikon flashes the sb24 the 25 the 26 i have two of i have a couple three sb28s they all work perfectly with uh with this camera at very high sync speeds it's it's amazing so there you go. Uh, and well, would you recommend, I mean, I, I guess it's the, the best bang for your buck at a certain price point, but, um, you know, if you already have one, you're not going to buy the latest one because it's an evolutionary upgrade from one to the next, right? But uh, would you recommend people look at the latest ones? Uh, or, you know, if you just need to have that workhorse, reliable pocket camera, even the first one would do. Even the first one, I, from what I understand, I never used the first one. The first one was, well, it was the first one. And so there was a couple of kinks to work out from what I hear. The second one is outstanding. Uh, my co-host Adam, he, he picked one up for a couple of hundred dollars a few years ago or a couple of years ago. And he loves it. You're missing, you're missing a few megapixels. You're missing a few of the bells and whistles. Um, if I did not own one, which I, I bought, I bought a new one. I bought the F when it first came, just around the first when it first came out, because I couldn't find a used one here. Uh, it's at the point now where if I if if I was looking to get one, didn't have one, I'd probably buy the new one, the latest one, because it is phenomenal. But now that I own one, if I came across a, a decently priced S version for you know a couple two three hundred dollars. I would not hesitate. I would buy it just as my beater to take absolutely everywhere with me, out in the the beach and whatever, which which I w would not hesitate to do for that kind of money. It's fantastic. well, and uh, with the uh, you know, if even if it's at a lower resolution, you have tools now available to you to increase <laughs> that artificially afterwards. So uh, that uh, that solves one of those problems. Done. Done. All right. Well, this podcast, I guess, is also done. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you for being here, Alan. And, and before we go, I do want to mention thank you for being on an episode that never aired um, recently. That's my Be NFT, Don. Yeah, <laughs> because we had so many audio issues um, <laughs> that I, uh, I it, it was not just drift. It was just missing chunks of uh, mm -hmm. of, of conversation and I couldn't piece it back together properly so there is an, a lost episode uh, somewhere in the ether but thank you for coming back on this one will not be lost we have been doing local recordings um, right. so long as there's no hiccups there Alan you did hit the record button right uh, I'm seeing some time code running yeah so the uh, the just just to point out it was neither Don Don's nor my fault that that last recording went south N no, that that was uh, Zencaster. Thank you, Zencaster, for pointing fingers. Uh, Good for you. I'm, I'm, I'm pointing fingers. We they they've changed their system now to allow just audio recording only. But at that time, they had to do uh, video, 
Uh, and uh. Uh, then that was just delaying everything. There was so much lag. I'm not sure where the bottleneck was, if there was multiple bottlenecks, but it wasn't mature enough to use in a production environment, and uh, we learned that the hard way. Indeed. Well, happy right. to come back anyways. No problems. All right. Thank you for being here, Alan. And thank you to everybody for listening to Photo Geek Weekly. Uh, hopefully we'll have another episode next week now that my book is uh, pretty well done. Time is freeing up and that creative energy is flowing again for these fun conversations. Uh, once again, everybody, it's time to stay in and shoot. <laughs> 